Welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin and me. I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jerry Springer. Oh, please, please. Oh, well, stay back. Stay back. Oh, wow. Crowd control. You know, that's, that's something you got to watch. Yeah, I, I know what Trump puts up with. <laughs> hey, we got a, uh, you know, we get, I don't know, hundreds, probably over the years, three years we've been doing this, thousands of listener emails, and I respond to all of them. <laughs> You're just like Trump. This, it was you. There, was, there were so many thousands. emails. I Believe yeah. me, there were so many, you can't even count them. Yeah. I respond to all of them, but I don't come in and, like, read them all. I don't, oh, I got 20 of them today, because we would never get anything done. Oh, right, yeah, right. If, we, if we just but, read all the emails. We but could, I did, yeah. this one did kind of jump out, because it related to something that my wife and I saw at a place called Finley Market. Oh, I love Finley. Which is in the Cincinnati area, and it's mm. this beautiful, sort of like European old, old school uh, market on Saturdays. Outdoor, Actually, it's all yeah. every day. But farmer's it, Market. Farmer's Market. And yeah. It's just very cool. Anyway, I got this email from Ellis from Chicago, Illinois. You're from the Chicago area. Yeah, area, yeah. Jersey, yeah. Chicago. Oh, that's Do you perfect. know him? Do you know Ellis? Oh, well, <laughs> you all know him. Oh, you mean Ellis from Chicago? From Chicago, yeah. Who doesn't know Ellis in Chicago? It's a huge city, Megan. Oh, There's man. probably a lot of Ellis's in yeah. Chicago. Gene, I'm just saying. I'm in fact, when you land at the airport, you know how they have the signs, go to baggage yeah. claim. Go to there? Ellis. They even got where you go, which direction you go if you want to see Ellis. So he addressed this to Jerry, Megan, and Gene. It says, he says, I recently lost my job in advertising oh. because new management instituted a random marijuana drug test. Oh. With so much time on my hands, I decided to binge listen to all of your past episodes. I love your yeah. show. One episode that jumped out was where you three formed your own folk trio and performed several songs. Do you remember that? That was like we two years ago, two and yeah. a half years ago. No, we formed what I'm was called the Jerry Springer Trio. Still trying to repress that memory. Yeah. Still yeah. trying. <laughs> and that guy... Refresh, did you say? Or? Repress. Yeah. Repress. Oh, that's repress. different. <laughs> and that's <laughs> quite different from refresh. Sure is. <laughs> And this guy is saying he smokes marijuana. Well, he, he did. Clearly and, uh, a lot. <laughs> but he said... Uh, I, th I think that explains why. Maybe he's just being blunt. Oh, but Ooh, don't... Hey. Oh, I'll be here all week, folks. <laughs> Where did you learn that joke? Uh, like, sure you're not cool enough to make sure that to joke. Be sure to try the roast beef. Yeah. <laughs> the kids on the show. The kids on the show. <laughs> Go ahead. He goes Sorry. on, he says, have you ever thought about doing folk music full-time on the road? PBS, public broadcasting, PBS seems to air lots of fun drive shows showcasing ancient folk singers. Ancient. Well. <laughs> <laughs> That's not fair to you, man. Yeah. That applies to Jerry yeah. and me, but not yeah. to you. Maybe we'd see you there. Yeah. And then he says, I look forward to hearing your reply on a future show. Ellis from Chicago. He's got a PS. I'm thinking of moving to Colorado. No kidding. That's a good <laughs> yeah, place yeah. for you, buddy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Get yeah. on out oh, there. Yeah. They have blunts out there. Yeah. <laughs> Lots yeah. of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that made me think because when uh, my wife and I were walking through Finley Market, we saw buskers. Mm -hmm. Buskers are folk people, mostly folk singers, blues people who uh, open a guitar case and they perform and people walk by and drop money in. 
And you once, in fairness, that reminds me, you were once a busker. I busked. Yeah, I busked. We were busketed up, or busketed. busketed. <laughs> we were up in Charlevoix, Michigan. Only a few years ago. So it wasn't like when I was 20. This is like just needed some ago. walking around money, Jane. This is not, <laughs> this is not even a joke. This is... So, you know, our, our three of us and our wives, you know, we're, we're, we're up there. Lewis was with Lewis us. Lewis was yeah. with yeah, us. Yeah. And we, Gene had his guitar, and we said, Gene, let's stand across the street, open your... Actually, record. I said, it was a challenge, okay, yeah. I said, I'll go out there. Charlevoix is like a vacation town. It, yeah, it's a beautiful I'll go place. out there, and I'll make money. I was a child challenged it. Yeah. And I did it. You stood in front of a little storefront there, and he opened his guitar case, and he's singing songs like Blowing in the Wind. Oh, my God. We, okay. And we're standing across the street watching. Laughing. As people yeah. are walking by, no one <laughs> stopped to put money in. Not quite my memory. He didn't, but, uh, he didn't get so much as a quarter, did he? Uh, but but finally, right, some guy did come up. I mean, it was 15, 20, it was just, it, and then we started not laughing, and then we started feeling bad. He did it. It was his idea. By the way, here's how it really went. Why did it really After end? a few minutes, a guy yeah, walks somewhat, up. Yeah. The guy true. walked up and he said, you mind if I join you? I got a harp, a harmonic. I got yeah. a harp in my truck. I said, go get it. And he went down and got his harp. And, uh, no, some people did drop some money in. I mean, yeah. it might have been. I think by the end of it, we made 75 cents for sure. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that's for true. For sure. It wasn't double cents. figures. It was yeah. double digits. It wasn't double figures. It wasn't like yeah. they left your nickel. No. No, it was 75 cents. Good I'll for you, Gene. So you have a future if, this does, if the podcast doesn't work out. Well, I was thinking, because, no, I don't think I could pull this off alone. I, I think of the three of us, I'm the suckiest one, if you want to have my oh, no. honest opinion. <laughs> no, that's not true. Gene can play the guitar. Yeah. I just play a few chords. Gene can actually play. And Gene was actually pretty good. But people just, it, it was humiliating. People just walked by, and, and poor Jean's just up there strumming. And Do you people, remember, there was, it was a, blast, on, a few actually, years ago really... on YouTube, there was a video, they had the, the classically trained uh, violinist down the New York subway, people walking by, like, played for the Philharmonic or for the New York, I can't remember exactly which organization, people walking by and just no attention paid, and this guy gets paid, you know, lots and lots and this lots is of the money. I'm not an expert on this, obviously, but this is the nature of busking. Yeah. If you open a guitar case and perform, now let's assume you can do what you're purporting to do. You can, you know, play. some songs you can mm -hmm. play. And the style you're playing and the songs you're playing may or may not be what appeals to that person walk by. Most people actually, I think research shows, they like it because it's, a, it's a, an ambiance thing. I've never minded they it. Do. Yeah. But they do. Like but if it. you're not stopping, what I've noticed is if it's, obviously a homeless person doing it, then I will stop to yeah. give, you know, and there are people that just stop to give money because you're assuming, and maybe sometimes it's unfair, maybe they're not or whatever, but you often assume is a homeless guy needs some money and so you just drop some money, but you don't stand there and, and continue to listen to no, him play. No, that's, that's the nature of it, is most people just walk by, yeah. but those men and women find, I guess, like I say, I don't, I don't do this as a profession, at the end of a time period, they made some money. 
they'll make some money. It's usually not a lot, but mm -hmm. they might yeah, to make, it make some money. Yeah. And they'll do it in subway places. And, and uh, Finley Market is one of the places in Cincinnati where people do it. And yeah. you can stand and watch, and most people are walking by. But they do appreciate this atmosphere oh, yeah. there. Oh, I, th I think it's great. In New York City subways, they do. Yeah. They, they have, but really good musicians. In other yeah, words, that's there's a great, yeah, that's, that's yeah. Your point. There's some yeah. real quality you, yeah. you get there. I, and I, did, I really would love you to You made do more this. than 75 cents. I don't know. I'm a few bucks. But we but, started yelling <laughs> from across the street. Hey, that guy's awfully good. Honey, why don't we walk over there? <laughs> yeah, right. Talking real loud. And, You're but, so sneaky, Jerry. I felt, no, I felt badly for him. <laughs> I you think... Knew he wasn't homeless. It's Gene. No. <laughs> he put himself in the situation. Keep saying like that, he'll be homeless. I, <laughs> uh, I, I... Well, and the fact is, I look forward to doing it, and the day came, and I said, come on, let's go down. I'm going to do this thing, and it was... But I like to do that kind of stuff. I like to do kind of crazy well, stuff. We have real musicians with us tonight. Yes, well, we I do. heard them warming up. They're serious. Yeah, you guys are really good. We yeah. have really uh, good. we have with us the Cold Cave Hollow Boys from Athens, Ohio. Whoop, Let's whoop. hear it for them. Whoop. And just a minute, I'm going to ask Jerry to, in a, in a sense, I don't know if this is the right term, celebrate. That's not the right word. Pay attention to the 50th anniversary of the assassination of his his hero and my hero as well, Bobby Kennedy who died uh, almost 50 years ago. This it's week. coming up yeah. on June 4th, I think. 4th and 5th, happened around midnight. Uh, if we, let me take you back one last time to busking. If you went into Finley Market, we three know the scene there. It's yeah. a beautiful scene. It's very, like I say, very European, framed by some buildings, and it's almost like a square, and a lot of activity, and very cool. And buskers in various corners and places. What can't you picture? You're walking through Finley Market. You're reacting the way Jerry accurately describes it. Most people just walk by. Mm -hmm. And some people, for driven by whatever motive, I'm one that just drops some money in because I want to help these, these yeah. people. Sure. And they're not, not homeless people. They're performers. Yeah, this, is where they, this is where you can perform without, you know... A, being invited for a gig. Mm -hmm. Imagine you're walking through, you look up, you see a trio. That's a little interesting, and that might catch your interest. <laughs> and the trio is Jerry Springer, and on the at two sides, two bookends, Megan Hills, Gene Galvin. And the reaction would be, oh, geez, what happened to yeah, him? What happened yeah. to now, him? Now, see, yeah. that could be it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, how the oh, mighty Jerry's have fallen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. From Sharknado yeah. to this. Oh, yeah, from, oh. from his talk Jerry's show to this. Jerry's on hard yeah. times. What happened? Yeah, from, from Sharknado to this. Oh, oh. I think it would be, oh, be I mean, we'll probably never do it. I mean, I would do it. I don't know. Would you do it, by the way? He's the one that would not sure, like it. Sure, why not? I mean, I, I think it would be a blast. But like three songs. Yeah, yeah. I don't have to. You're not in it for like the money part of it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I don't want to be, they can't bring me back for an encore. I don't have a fourth song. <laughs> no, you just do one of the three songs, song, three songs again. <laughs> yeah. But that's cheap. Someone asked for yeah. blowing in the wind. Did I hear yeah. again? Yeah. Let's yeah. sing it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that would that would be a WTF thing. People walking do you by think? going what, <laughs> and they would stop and they would go, what is this? And then they would judge are they any good 
They would judge yeah. that. And that would be answered quickly, and then they would uh, move on. They'd get their answer. <laughs> and, there be, and I picture, which is a little bit different, but some little girl would come up to me. And remember at that, uh, oh, it was a commemoration out in East. Matt Maupin. Do you yeah. want to go through oh, this? Matt this Maupin. is it's, it's, it's both uh, crazy, sick, and hilarious. Yeah, but yes, was, there was a little girl that came up, and she was a little evil girl. Let's don't go into a all little the evil girl. No, oh, was, oh, okay, let's tell the story. I don't know if story. It was a story. story. First of all, the event was horribly sad. Yeah. Matt Maupin. Matt Maupin. It was yes. such a big story in this area. For and, me. and he was he was a yeah. Tell just to story. set this yeah. up real fast, yeah. he is a sergeant. Was a sergeant, and he died in Iraq. Wasn't not Afghanistan, yeah. but it was, it was Iraq. Iraq. And uh, they didn't find him for a while, and uh, they searched for him. He was missing in action, and then... And the whole community was caught oh up, God. and it was very, very sad. And there was a commemoration that night. In Batavia, Claremont County, where he's from, and we spontaneously, coming back from a political event yeah. where you had spoken... And we saw that, and we said, oh, God, we got to stop, and we were there with respects. everyone else and sure. to pay our respects. So that was all serious. And when it was over, people you know, would see me or whatever, and some of them would, you know, come up, uh, thanks for coming and all this. And this little girl who... With her mom. With her mom. That's where the evil yeah. happened. The, the mom comes up in the crowd. Some people are taking pictures or whatever. She must have been like four or five. Yep. Yeah. Mom says to me, can she talk to Mr. Springer? And I said... Absolutely, because it's a four-year-old yeah. kid at this event sure. for sure. this and fallen I, soldier. And I kind of, and everyone's gathering around. I kind of get down on one knee. And do you remember what the question was? It, here's what she said. Um, wait a minute. Let me get the setup right. Because she the first said, question was very innocent. It was very. Um, <laughs> Which kind of? Are, she is said. Your here's what she said. I'm going to tell yeah. literally what yeah. she said because I was standing right there. She said. Are you a Jew? <gasps> Jerry's Jewish. So yeah. she said, Are you a Jew? And Jerry said, Well, well yes. Yes. Right. And then she said, My mom says you're going to burn in hell. And all Can these you people imagine are that? gathered around while well, this little girl, they think it's it. such a cute moment where, you know, because everyone wants to hear what I'm saying to this cute little girl. What did you say to that? <laughs> oh, he was Jerry. He was just gracious and answered, and said, I, I am. He said, I am Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> and then he smiled and turned to somebody else. Yeah. And um, wow. I, I will Four tell you, old, that so was sad. one of my life, a missed opportunity. I've had two or three of them. He should not have done this because I, I happen to be Christian, Catholic. Sure. One assumes this mom, this evil mom, taught this child this. Well, four-year-old's go. not going to come up with that yeah. on exactly. her own. Yeah. And yeah. what I should have done is left the child out of earshot and turned the mom toward me and said something to the effect of, if there are children listening, put your hands over their ears. Your muffin. Right now. You evil motherfucking bitch. Yep. <laughs> if anybody's going to fucking Calvin, die preach. in hell, it's your ass. Yep. That's what I should have said. I missed that, that opportunity. opportunity to say that. That's horrible. That's an evil, to evil that person. That's I should have said to her, Man, do you know disgusting. how much time I have left? <laughs> yeah. How do you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do you Just, have the exact details? Yeah, because it's... Oh, 
How do I you said, know? I said, oh, my gosh, thanks for the warning. <laughs> <laughs> How much time? Can I? Yeah. You know, and see if she would. But, I mean, that's insane. The point is it that sick? Why do you? I've never forgotten that. And that's why do you never say that to a child. Well, and you figure if a four-year-old has the wherewithal to even repeat that to an adult, it's so ingrained in them already. That is There's how no coming back yeah, from crazy that. white supremacists are spawned. And that was what... And the missed opportunity is people who do that need to be directly confronted. Immediately. And stopped. I don't know that I would ever stop her, but that, that was... And it was such a lovely a event, and everyone was just so nice. But the comedy part of me said... <laughs> This is Saturday Night Live. Right? You know. I'm being, you see, I'm being You see this older man bending down on a knee to talk to a amazing. little girl. You it was know, amazing. The hand of the back of the head. You're adorable. You're going to burn it now. I'm burning now. You do? Can I, can I ask you a question? Says, sure, honey. What is it? <laughs> it was <laughs> was a collective gasp by the entire did, I was going to say, did other people hear it? There were people who heard it, yeah. I, I, you know, yeah, a few. But here's what, here's how it really ended, because he's not remembering this detail, and this is so Jerry Springer, <laughs> in, in our friendship over all these years. Yeah. It ended, and I missed my opportunity, and they walked away, and Jerry immediately turned to me. Nobody heard this but Jerry and me, and he said, unbelievable, did you set that up? <laughs> <laughs> He thought, like, he thought, what a great bit. Damn, Gene, that was a good one. And it my was. answer was this. It was a perfect moment. If I could have thought of that, I would have done that. Yeah. And I'm not that, I'm not that clever. You know? <laughs> I wish the hell I would have. No, it was a great moment. That is exactly was what perfect. was said afterwards. He said, did you, you set, that was hilarious. Did you yeah. set that up? I mean, in other words, he looked at me like, that'd be the kind of thing you would do. You would do. Because her timing was perfect. The kid had a future. Yeah. Yeah. My mommy <laughs> says, you're going to burn in hell. Oh, yeah, he has a, a kid has a future as the MC at white supremacist rallies. They should rallies. be a, pub, a Republican leader yeah. in the next few years. It'd be yeah. great. Jeez, but anyway. Unbelievable. Mm. Hey, uh, speaking of politics and tragedy and all of that, so on... Help us out here, Jerry. Is it June 4th? Yeah, it was June 4th, uh, 1968, exactly 50 years ago this week, as and, we're and recording. And by the way, it. you were, and we're going to talk about Bobby Kennedy yeah. is what we're referencing, the assassination of Bobby Kennedy. Yeah. And you were, at the time, after having met him for a dinner in New York City, as I recall. In Chicago. In Chicago. Yeah. You had become a, an organizer for Bobby Kennedy in his presidential yeah. campaign. So and this is like a really connected to you. And by sheer coincidence, which must have been one of the first days of my life I ever was in Cincinnati, but I was in Cincinnati that evening. So I just got a phone call. It wasn't like I was there or anything. Anyway, so the California primary, this is 1968. Um, you know, he's running, he's now a candidate for president. And in, in the Democratic primaries, Gene McCarthy had entered first and had won New Hampshire. Then Bobby came in, and they, you know, thought he was ruthless, taking advantage of Gene McCarthy, having the guts to run first. And But anyway, Bobby came in and won the, won the next few primaries. But the week before was the primary in Oregon, which Gene McCarthy beat him. And it was the first time a Kennedy had ever lost and Kennedy was very gracious the next morning, said, I got beaten in uh, Oregon. If, if I don't win in California, which was the next week, uh, I'll drop out of the race. 
And so everything was riding on Bobby Kennedy winning California. And the primary was uh, Tuesday, June 4th, 1968. And in fact, uh, Bobby did win. And that night, you know, we've all seen, the, those of us who are old enough to remember, but younger people might have seen um, the video. But he comes down into the ballroom at the Ambassador Hotel to speak to his, you know, the crowd, the well-wishers, and uh, to accept the victory. And then his last words were, now on to Chicago, which is where the Democratic Convention would be. And it looked, at least at that moment, that miraculously, Bobby Kennedy looked like he could actually get the nomination of the Democratic Party to run against Nixon um, because he had just won California. He was a New York senator, so he was going to get the whole New York delegation. And Daley was the mayor of Chicago, a, a big Kennedy, uh, John Kennedy fan. And Daley was expected to be able to deliver for Bobby there. So it looked like suddenly Bobby Kennedy really was going to be the Democratic candidate for president. So it was the highest of highs. And then, of course, a minute later, he goes back into the kitchen and he gets shot and killed. Now, what relevance does this have today? Because you've probably seen in the news coverage, everyone's talking about this 50th anniversary of this. What relevance does this have to today other than nostalgia? And I'm trying to think, what, what is it about Bobby Kennedy? Because, Megan, as you were just saying before we started the program, a lot of kids today in, in high school or whatever, when you hear Bobby Kennedy, all they know is that, oh, he, wasn't he the younger pro, uh, brother of John Kennedy? And, um, yeah, didn't he run for president? And he was killed, too. I mean, end of story. But for those of us who were alive then, it's almost like a cult thing, is that Bobby Kennedy, for our generation is probably the single most significant political figure in our lives. And what, what is so special? What is this emotional attachment to Bobby Kennedy that we don't have to other politicians all these years? And I think it's because, and maybe at some point someone will point out something else that I missed, but I think it's the only politician in my lifetime where you actually saw him evolve before your eyes. Virtually everyone else in public life, when they come on the scene, they are whatever they're going to be. In other words, whatever president you can think of, when they became a candidate, you knew who this person was because they have already become themselves. What was strange about Bobby Kennedy is he literally trans transformed as a human being before our eyes in a very short period of time. Let me explain. Bobby Kennedy grew up in this Kennedy clan dominated by a very conservative father, one of the richest families in America, white, rich, and very sheltered, and conservative, conservative Catholic. And the issue which we now think of Bobby Kennedy in terms of race, in terms of the downtrodden and all of that, that wasn't even on the radar screen when Bobby Kennedy was first coming in into politics. The first we knew of Bobby Kennedy is he was the younger brother of Senator John Kennedy, and he was put on the McCarthy Committee, which, you know, if you're a moderate or liberal, there couldn't be anything worse than being, he was general counsel 
of the McCarthy committee when, and, and which gave him a horrible reputation. He was viewed as ruthless and just a young whippersnapper and nothing gracious or warm about him. And then when John, his brother John, was running for president, the family put Bobby in charge of the campaign, and he was a campaign chairman, leader, a manager, and a rough one. Um, anybody, if you didn't do something for, you know, if, if he held grudges. If you didn't do anything for his brother running in this campaign, we'll get you. He was a tough SOB. And that is the Bobby Kennedy people. No, he went after Jimmy Hoffa. He went after some of the uh, corrupt unions. And that was his reputation. And so when it came to issues of race and poverty and things like that, it wasn't that Bobby Kennedy was anti-black. It's that he literally grew up in a household that, except maybe for a maid, they had no interaction with blacks or minorities. They lived in a privileged white world. Bobby knew nothing about this. And now all of a sudden, he's running John Kennedy's campaign against Nixon. It's a very close election. And even then, they viewed blacks as a political, part of the political equation. They needed the black vote in the northern states. They couldn't look like they were too in favor of blacks because back then the Democrats had to carry the South in order to win the presidency. A week before the general election, in November of 68, Martin Luther King is sitting in a Birmingham jail. And the fear was, in the black community around America, that they were going to kill him in that prison in, in Birmingham, that he wouldn't survive. And they were frightened to death. And the question was, what could candidate Nixon or candidate Kennedy do? Nixon did nothing. And there were people around John Kennedy that said, we've got to do something. But they were politicians, and they were afraid if what they did was too visible, they would lose the South. Because back then, there were an awful lot of Southerners that didn't, that Martin Luther King was a troublemaker. They're moving too fast, this whole civil rights thing. Sit-ins, demonstrations, what are they doing? You know, it's almost like the attitude you see among white people, some white people among Black Lives Matter. It was really, you know, now Martin Luther King's this wonderful hero. Back then he was very controversial. But the people around John Kennedy said, look, why don't you make a call, a telephone call to Coretta Scott King, his wife, and just offer what she, you know, you're, you're thinking about him. What does she think he could do? And so Nixon didn't call. John Kennedy did, and he made that call to Coretta Scott King. What can we do, et cetera, but kept it quiet. Bobby Kennedy, that night, a little bit later, heard that the other people around Kennedy had told him to make that call, and he was livid. He says, there goes the South. We just, a week before the election, we've now lost the South. The election's over. We've lost. And he took a plane ride out west. Uh, for some political uh, campaign thing he had to do. And by the time he landed, he had rethought it. And these are in interviews with Bob. He had rethought it and said, what am I doing? This is the right thing to do. So the next day, Bobby called the governor 
of Alabama, and the local uh, sheriff there in, in the Birmingham County, and saying, you got to get him out of there. And probably talking a little bit political. If this becomes a national issue, your political career is over, whatever. He was playing tough, but he says, we got to get King out of there. And sure enough, the next morning, he came out. Martin Luther King, coming out of the church, said, because up until then, the King family was for Nixon. Martin Luther King's dad, who was the head uh, pastor of that very famous church, um, he was for Nixon. Because Nixon had a reasonably good civil rights record among Republicans back then. And in black churches, just in black churches all around America, the Sunday before the election, now it's done all the time. Back then it had not been done. There was a pamphlet, Martin Luther King, basically saying that John Kennedy had made a call that got Martin Luther King out of prison. We owe him. Get out and vote. And you remember that John Kennedy got elected president by less than 100,000 votes in the whole country. So that incident got him elected. Now he's president. He makes his brother, which couldn't happen today because they passed laws in the meantime, but he gets his brother to be attorney general. Imagine the irony of today with Trump and the attorney general and the relationship. But he made Bobby Kennedy the attorney general. And all of a sudden, the first year, and we who have been doing our podcast here, we know that that first year they had the freedom rides of the Kennedy presidency. And to be honest, the Kennedys wanted them to go, they were on their side, but they wanted them to go slow. The marches, the sit-ins, the Freedom Rides, every private conversation with them, every tape telephone call that we now have, because those the recordings were all kept, all of them said, don't push this issue. We, we got to go slow. There were two reasons the Kennedys wanted initially to go slow. One, Kennedy was meeting with Khrushchev, and the biggest issue back then was the Cold War. And the world was split between communism and democracy. And our argument to the third world, to the rest of the world, was you don't want to live under communism because it's, they're horrible on human rights, there are no freedoms, etc. And Kennedy didn't want to be there meeting with Khrushchev while the world will see the headlines that in America, for all we talk about freedom, here we are with hoses knocking down little black children who wanted to go to school or bombing churches or lynches or burning buses uh, where they were integrated with a freedom ride. It looked awful. America looked awful in terms of arguing against communism and human rights when we look how we treat black people. So, they, so there was a, a reason that the Kennedys wanted to go slow on that. He didn't want the summit to blow up. And then, as we got closer to 1964, politically, they were concerned about winning the South. Kennedy was worried about re-election, and if he lost the South, if he pushed too much for civil rights, he may lose that. To Bobby's credit and to John Kennedy's credit, at some point, they suddenly said, enough is enough. And that's when John Kennedy went on national television and pushed for the Civil Rights Act and said, this is not America 
this is not who we are. We've got to do something about civil rights. And that was the beginning of all that. I tell you this rather long story to say this, we watched all this develop, literally the changing of a human being before us. A few months later, John Kennedy is assassinated. For anyone of our generation, it is the single, along with 9-11, the single most remembered public day of our lives. Everyone of my age or even near my age or older knows exactly where they were, what they were doing when they got the news that John Kennedy had been assassinated. It's the single most remembered day. And yet, I will say to you that in terms of what happened in the world, the assassination of Bobby Kennedy was more impactful than the assassination of John Kennedy. And the reason I say that is because when John Kennedy was assassinated, as great a shock as that was, and I don't know if we ever experienced that again, nothing really changed because Lyndon Johnson immediately picked up all the civil rights legislation. So Lyndon Johnson continued with everything Kennedy was doing on civil rights. So nothing much changed. In fact, you could say that it actually, the civil rights movement escalated after John Kennedy was killed. But when Bobby Kennedy was killed, and I plead guilty to this because I was one of those, we had just gone through this whole 1968 with the riots, the assassination of Medgar Evers, then Martin Luther King, now Bobby Kennedy. They were killing our heroes. And here we thought, after you know, grieving over Martin Luther King two months later. Now they killed another Kennedy. They killed Bobby Kennedy. We dropped out. A whole generation of young people just suddenly turned away. And what happened in the ensuing months, the riots in Chicago, Richard Nixon is, is nominated. He gets elected because people like myself didn't really go out and work very hard to get Hubert Humphrey elected. So we wound up with Nixon, which was the escalation of the war in Vietnam, which was Watergate, which was ultimately a whole younger generation that had a sense of community and what we could accomplish, dropped out of politics, became self-centered, and we wound up with Ronald Reagan, who was a very decent person. But Ronald Reagan changed the whole ethos of America. With John Kennedy, it was ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. There was a sense of a younger generation, we're going to make this world better. We'll put a man on the moon. We'll create the Peace Corps, VISTA. We'll help poor people. There's nothing we can't. We were a little bit naive, but there was nothing we couldn't accomplish. There was this sense of making the world better. With Ronald Reagan, it was I'll get government off your back no new taxes, uh, even the television commercials at the time, uh, it was some clairol or some hair thing, uh, you know, I'm worth it, it's all about me. The books that came out during the 80s was uh, taking care of number one, you gotta love yourself first, all this whole side thing about, we become a very selfish generation and a sense of community of helping other people isn't there. We are paying for that 50 years later <clears throat> when who cares about Puerto Rico? It's, it's all about us. And if a person doesn't look like you or pray like you or 
you know, you know, it's we're tribal. And then these past year or so, a younger generation is suddenly coming forward. Whether it's guns, whether it's gay rights, whether it's race, all of a sudden, young people are getting involved and pushing for a cause. And we see all these demonstrations, and we suddenly see these marches. So here's my final point, having lived through it 50 years ago. 2018 is everything. These young people, for, for example, on the gun issue from Parkland, these kids which are on television now, they are so psyched up. They're organizing. They're doing everything they can. If a few months from now, the midterm elections, we make no changes, if we keep the same people in Congress, the same people in the Senate, the same president, it all stays the same, I am very fearful that this younger generation will say, what's the point? Don't give us these speeches about how it's important to get involved. We were involved. We marched. We did everything the appropriate way. We registered. We got out to vote. We did all that. And if nothing changes, we are going to relive 1968. There is going to be a bitterness and a disruption that we've haven't witnessed since then. That is the importance of 2018. All right, thank you, Jerry. Okay, coming to the stage for us this evening, as we mentioned earlier, is the Cold Cave Hollow Boys. Welcome, gentlemen. So welcome. First time you guys have been with us? Yep. Excellent. We are running a little bit tight tonight, so normally we would ask you to do two songs, but we're going to ask you to do one, and then we'll invite you back for another week if that's cool. Awesome. Cool. All right, so um, where are you guys from exactly? Um, Athens, Ohio. Okay, Athens, Ohio. Right around Ohio University. What is your first song called? Um, it's a song called Long Road that I wrote about four or five months ago. Oh, so this is new? Yeah. Very, very cool. All right, well, let's listen to them. It's a long road to nowhere. It didn't take me long to get here. But I'm gonna stay as long as I can I'm gonna pick up all my shoes Sing a little blues And pick a little wild with the man When I eat, put me through All the different shades of blue I had to learn the hard way That a woman's only good If you've understood at home where you gonna stay Well it's a long road to nowhere Didn't take me long to get here But I'm gonna stay as long as I can You're gonna kick off my shoes Sing a little blues And dig a little out with the band
living on the road, playing show to show. I didn't want to be tied down, but now I do believe I could dream it in my sleep or when I'm in the cold hard ground. Well, it's a long road to nowhere. It didn't take me long to get here, but I'm gonna stay as long as I can. They're gonna kick off my shoes, sing a little blues, and pick a little wild with the band. Where can we hear your music when you aren't playing at the Folk School Coffee Parlor? Um, we are on iTunes and iTunes? Spotify yeah. and all those other music wonderful websites. musical sharing. Yeah. Okay, and so your ranger, your voice, beautiful you get down there like Ernest Tubbs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, check them out online, the Cold Cave <clears throat> Hollow Boys, and They're great. Um, we're gonna have them have them back because we only get to do one song with them tonight but we are going to do a take me down or what are we doing down by the riverside <laughs> take me down to the riverside <laughs> and jerry's going to sing with you, there you go. <laughs> if and you don't mind yeah and if you mind it i won't he's going to sing yeah. anyway. he's going to sing anyway Ain't gonna study war no more. Ain't gonna 